Awesome. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6. Jeremiah, chapter 6. Just kind of hold your spot there. We're going to look at a passage a little before chapter 6 and then eventually roll some other ones in as well. But we're just going to focus on one verse, really, in chapter 6 in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, so hold your spot there. We're continuing in the series called Crossroads, and um, it, to me, this has been a helpful series because we've all been there, right? You've been at those crossroad moments in your lives. They look different for everybody. Sometimes the crossroads are very small. You're deciding between this house or that house, or do we move or do we not move, or are we going to leave this city and move to that city, or you know, which car to purchase, those kinds of things. And, and in some ways, those are crossroads because you have a decision to make. But a lot of times, the crossroads moments in our lives are much bigger. And the, really, the stakes are much higher. There's a lot more at play when we step up to those crossroads where a number of different uh, um, options exist, where there are a lot of moving parts. And one of the things we've learned in this series specifically is that your life, to a large degree, is shaped by the decisions you make and the actions that you take at those crossroads moments. That when you step up to the crossroads, you have a decision to make, and we have to make those decisions. And whatever decision you make at the crossroads and whatever action you engage in, whatever action you take, is going to put you on a course. It's going to chart a course for you, and you're going to arrive at a destination. And those crossroads come a lot of times in, in times in our lives when we don't expect it. We don't really see the crossroads coming ahead of time. We just sort of find ourselves there. Sometimes they're relational. Maybe for some of you, you can remember being at a crossroads, maybe in your marriage, for example, and you were at a crossroads that was very difficult, and you were having to, to decide which direction are we going to go because things aren't working out well, we're not getting along, we're fighting, or we're not seeing eye to eye, and you found yourself unexpectedly at a crossroads that may have been six months after you said I do, may have been six years, may have been six decades, right? But you found yourself at a crossroads, and you were having to make a decision and engage in action. And the decisions you made at that crossroads, whichever way you went, right, the actions that you, that you uh, engaged ultimately led you to a destination regarding that marriage. It may have been in a different type of a relationship. It may have been a friendship. Maybe you were in a friendship that was kind of toxic, you know, and, and you found yourself at a crossroads and you, you just had to decide, listen, am I going to stay in this toxic friendship or, 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 or am I going to go a different direction? And you had to make a really hard decision and you had to decide which direction you were going to go. There was a decision to make and an action to take. Sometimes the crossroads are financial. You know, through this series of uh, events surrounding COVID, you know, for some people financially, it's been a windfall, right? Depending on what line of work you are in, uh, I would have to say if you work at a, uh, if you own the rights to Chick-fil-A drive-through, you are a very wealthy person right now and, uh, and a very tired person, I would say that as well. But for some of you, COVID really hasn't resulted in much of a crossroads financially at all. For others of you, I mean, you've seen like sales go through the roof or you've seen uh, uh, just real increase financially depending on what type of work you do and the stimulus checks that have come. You've done repairs and you've, you've taken trips, right? And you're like, yes, this has been really great. This has been a good crossroads. We've had to decide what to do with all this extra. But for most people, what this season has created has been a crossroads experience where some hard decisions had to be made financially of what to let go and what to keep some really, really difficult decisions. And many of these crossroads that we come to, again, they have implications in our lives that run far and they run deep. For some of you, you've come to a crossroads regarding an internal struggle. 
you know, where you've had to decide as you step up to the crossroads maybe of addiction, right, or something that is just sort of taking ownership of your life and you've had to decide, am I going to stay on this road or am I finally, have I finally had enough of this where I'm going to go a different direction? Or maybe for you it's been a crossroads of a struggle on the inside with guilt or with unforgiveness or with bitterness or with anger. You know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die, right? It doesn't work well. And maybe for some of you, you remember that time in your life where you stepped up to the crossroads of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and resentment, and you finally said after six months or a year or five years, you know, you know I'm just tired of feeling this way. And it does me no good to hang on to this unforgiveness or this bitterness, and I'm finally going to decide to go a different direction. And you stepped onto a new course at the crossroads, and you still look back and you like, thank the Lord for getting your attention when you chose to forgive or you chose to let go and to begin to move forward again. But it all started at a crossroads where there was a decision to make and an action to take. And what we've learned along the way and what we emphasized last Sunday is that when we come to those crossroads moments in our lives, whether it's in our marriage or a relationship or regarding finances or parenting or career, whatever it may be, when we come to those crossroads, sometimes what we think mistakenly is that I've got to sort all this out myself, that God doesn't really have a plan. He's not going to speak into this. And that's the furthest from the truth, man. God wants to speak in to those crossroads moments. He longs to speak. He desires to speak because here's what he wants. He wants us to know his will. Because if we know his will and we walk in it, that he gets glory. And that, that's, what he's, that, that's what he desires. And not only does he get glory, but as we walk in his way and in his will, then ultimately we have fulfillment in our lives. And so God speaks to us. And like we saw last Sunday, it, God speaks primarily through his word. We're going to focus on that a little bit today still. He speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer. When we pray, the Holy Spirit does something on the inside of us, and if we have no will but God's, and we've decided, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do, as we pray, a lot of times what happens is God gives us peace. Colossians tells us that his peace is, a, is an arbiter, it's an umpire of our soul in a sense, that it gives us the direction, that kind of that thumbprint that God is in this. And so as we pray, God speaks. As we look at his word, he speaks. When we hang out with other Christians, the Bible calls that godly counsel or wise counsel. When we surround ourselves with people who speak truth into our lives, then God speaks into us that way. And even through the circumstances, as they kind of fall into place around us, many times God uses that to get us to where he wants us to be. All of that is in the context of a relationship with him through Jesus. And so God at those crossroad moments wants to speak into our lives. But what if I told you that the next time you step up to a crossroads, that there was a question that you could ask, not of God so much, but of yourself? And what if I told you that the next time you step up to a crossroads, especially a significant one, if you were to ask yourself this one question, that it would strip away all the noise and all the distraction and all of the clutter and all of the stuff that keeps us from knowing what God wants us to do and what path to take at the crossroads. What if I told you there was this one question you could ask? How interested would you be in hearing that one question? The good thing is Jeremiah tells us in chapter 6 what that question is. And it's not a magic bullet. It's not a magic pellet. We still have to do some things to, to be able to to uh, put it into practice, but there's a question that we can ask that makes handling the crossroads much, much easier. But before we get there, let me give you a little backstory 
to the book of Jeremiah to begin with. So Jeremiah, the book, is what we call a, one of the major prophets. Now, if you're not familiar with this, you're, you're about to learn something that might win you a cup of coffee at work tomorrow when you ask them, what is a major prophet? What is a minor prophet? It probably won't win you that, but who knows? Maybe, you, maybe you'll win a cup of coffee. But a lot of people think the major prophets and the minor prophets mean which one's most important. It has nothing to do with importance. When you hear that phrase, one of the major prophets or one of the minor prophets, it simply means, get this, how long the book is that bears their name, right? Is it a long book? Then they're a major prophet. Is it a short book? Then they're a minor prophet. That's all it deals with. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. The book of Jeremiah is a lengthy book. There is a lot that's in there. And the context is that Jeremiah operated in a 40-year ministry, not exactly on even sides of the year 600 BC, but close to a little bit of the late 500s and a little bit of the early 600s. Around 600 BC, Jeremiah had his ministry. 40 years he would serve as a prophet to the people of Judah, God's people, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Israel had already been taken into exile, captive for their sin. Judah was headed that direction really quickly. God sends him a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Forty years, Jeremiah would prophesy faithfully. For 40 years, he would tell the people where they had wandered from God. The people of Judah in Jeremiah's day were in spiritual freefall. Man, it was not good for them. They had abandoned God. They had rebelled against God. They were charting their own course. They were taking their own direction. They didn't want to hear from God. All they wanted to do was jump through a bunch of religious hoops to try to keep God happy. But if you were to look inside their suitcase that they carried that had God on the outside, if you were to open it up, it was empty. I mean, he was just a figurehead, so to speak. Their, their worship was empty. Their devotion was empty. They had, for all intents and purposes, abandoned God. But God longed for them to walk with him again. And he lovingly offered grace to them. And Jeremiah was one of the prophets that would speak into their lives to say, come back to God, return. Come back to God, return. And I, and I have to ask the question, how on earth does a nation with a history of the people of God, right? Israel, Judah, how do they, after all they had been through, I mean, not this generation we're about to read of, but the people in general of God, I mean, they had walked through the desert, and God took care of them, and he fed them, and he clothed them, and, and he opened up the promised land to them, and he did miracles, and all of this stuff. How does a, a, a nation who had walked so closely with God gravitate so far away from him? And how does a person, right, who, who's walked so closely with Jesus, who, who has studied his word and, and obeyed him and, and, and experienced his blessings and had such joy and a genuine relationship, how does a believer like that come to a place to where they've walked so far away? I'll tell you how. It happens at the crossroads, one choice at a time. It happens when we step up to the crossroads and we choose the easy wrong because everybody else is doing it, over the hard right. It's when we step up to the crossroads one choice at a time and we choose compromise over conviction. That's how we get so far from God, one choice at a time. 
at the crossroads. It's when we ultimately step up and we decide that spending time doing our own thing is more important than spending time doing God's thing. Spending time on our own pursuits is more important than spending time with God. Spending time doing what we want rather than spending time with God's people. And the list goes on and on and on. It's when we choose ultimately self-indulgence over purity. And when we step up to the crossroads, whether it's moral in nature or relational in nature or spiritual in nature, one choice at a time, we choose the wrong turn. And that's how we ultimately, over a period of time, find ourselves so far from God. That's where the people of Judah were. And so uh, Jeremiah steps up to the plate and he begins to call them back out of their selfishness into surrender, out of their own pursuits and back into the will of God again. And we get a glimpse. If you look over in Jeremiah 3, we get a little bit of a glimpse of kind of what Jeremiah was dealing with. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 3. Hold your spot in chapter 6. We're coming back there in just a few moments. But Jeremiah chapter 3. And when you get there, look down to verse 12. So God tells Jeremiah, <clears throat> Jeremiah 3 verse 12, he says, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I'm gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and that you've scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree. That is a reference. There's a lot packed into that one phrase, but that's a reference to their false worship. They had given their hearts to false gods. He says that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you, and I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And so the, so the amazing offer here is an offer of grace. And God says, I'm inviting you to step out of your selfish pursuits and to step back into relationship with me. Now, the context of this and the context of this whole message that we're looking at this morning is going to be when we step up to the crossroads where we have to decide between sin and obedience. Because that's the context of this passage in Jeremiah 6. Have you ever been in that crossroads before where you stepped up and there was an option before you and you had to decide, is this what God wants? And if it is, am I willing to walk there or am I going to do something different? You ever been at a crossroads like that? Every single one of us have, where we've had to decide, am I going to obey or disobey? Am I going to comply with what God desires, or am I going to rebel against what God desires? That's the context of this passage. And what Jeremiah is about to do in chapter 6 is that he's going to give us a question that we can ask when we step up to that crossroads of compromise versus conviction, and he's going to show us this question that if we can ask it and do what it tells us to do in this one verse, man, it's going to help us more often than not to walk in a way that honors God and brings fulfillment to us. Because here's the thing, whenever we disobey against God, there are only so many things that can happen. When we step to the crossroads of obedience versus disobedience, if we disobey, what's going to ultimately happen if it goes on long enough without coming back home to God again is that we're going to suffer the natural consequences of our sin. A, a lot of times Christians have this mistaken, sorry about that, have this mistaken idea. If you wore one of these on your ear, you'd have to adjust it from time to time too. But a lot of times we have this mistaken notion, right, it, as Christians that if we sin long enough, God's just going to get so mad at us, he's like, you know, he's just going to buzz us right there and uh, because he's so angry with us. That's not necessarily the picture. God said in chapter 3 there, he said, I'm not angry with you. I'm not going to be angry forever. 
But we have to understand, if we continue in sin in our lives, there are natural consequences that come from that that didn't necessarily serve to be God's way of saying, I want to make you pay. I mean, Jesus took our penalty on the cross. There's no condemnation, Romans 8.1, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But if we step into sin and continue in sin and sail down that stream for long enough, there are going to be natural consequences that come. Say, for example, just look at your physical body, right? God gave you a physical body, and there are certain things that God says are fine to do with that body and things that you shouldn't do with that body. Right? There are impure choices, immoral choices. There are choices of what we put into our body, that we drink, or whatever. I mean, all the, there, there are things that kind of govern how we're supposed to treat the body that God gave us. If we don't abide by that over the years, our bodies are going to begin to break down, right? They're going to break down inter- internally, sometimes on the outside. Our bodies are going to begin to break down more quickly than, than, than they should have, right? And it's going to be a natural consequence of not taking care of it. And in our lives, when we sin and we step up to that crossroads of obedience and versus disobedience, if we continue down the road of disobedience, there are going to be natural consequences of sin that come. But there is a point where, at times, if we have a relationship with God and He tries to draw us back to Himself and we refuse to come, He will, out of His love, not of His anger, out of His love, He will discipline us because of our sin. And here's why, because he loves us too much, man. He loves Brooks too much to let Brooks get on the wrong road and sail down to destruction of his life. And so he's going to discipline me. He disciplines you if you have a relationship with God, and he's going to convict you, and there's going to be unsettledness on the inside. Why? Because he wants you at that crossroads of obedience and disobedience to make the right turn. And then there's also the option, obviously, that if we've been in sin for a while, I mean, the crossroads are a great place to make a (laughs) U-turn. And that if we only listen, like the people of Judah were called to do, if we just listen, we can always turn around and come back, sometimes with consequences, sometimes with some extra baggage, but we can always step back into God's grace. Right? He always calls us back. And so Jeremiah stands in front of the people of God. They're on the fast track in rebellion having done everything except disown God. And he gives this this one simple verse, this admonition. It's in chapter 6, verse 16. And it's here that we find that all-important question. So let's jump in. Let's read chapter 6, verse 16. You can read along with me in your copy of Scripture. Jeremiah writes, and he says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see. And ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Whenever I preach, I usually use the New American Standard translation of Scripture, which is what that that verse is written in. But I was curious, and I looked at a different translation, the New International Version, which some of you like to use. And, and to me, I actually kind of prefer the New International Version wording of this translation. It doesn't change the meaning at all. I just like the way it kind of brings out some things that we need to see. So let's read that verse again. On the overhead, I know you don't have time to run out and buy an NIV and get back before I finish this sermon. So let's just look at it on the overhead. This is the NIV. This is the New International Version of that same verse. It says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads 
That's a good word, crossroads. That would make a great message series, wouldn't it? Crossroads. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads. When you come to those places, the context here is between right and wrong, righteous and unrighteous, obedience and disobedience, but it applies to any other crossroads too where we find ourselves, marriage, finance, whatever. But he says, stand at the crossroads, and and then he says, do three things, God says. I want you to look, and I want you to ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and then number three, walk in it. Look, ask, walk. He says, and if you do this, you will find rest for your souls. When you step up to the crossroads, he says, there are three things to do. Number one, look. Here's what I think he may mean by looking when we step up to the crossroads. When you step up to that crossroads specifically of obedience versus disobedience, there's a temptation there, there's something there that's enticing, and you're having to decide which way to go. You need to ask yourself, we need to ask ourselves at the crossroads, we need to survey the terrain, we need to read the room, right? We need to look at our circumstances, look at the crossroads, and, and begin to survey what is at stake. What will it cost me if I get this decision wrong? What will it cost me as I face this temptation, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's relational, whether it deals with integrity or morality or whatever, as I step up to this crossroads, what is it going to cost me? Take a look and see. How much is at stake here if I miss this one? And then God offers this this amazing invitation. He says, ask. Ask of him. Ask of ourselves. Ask for the ancient paths. What, What is he referring to when he speaks of the ancient paths? He's referring to his word. That's what he's referring to. It's not, just, it's not like the ancestral, what, what, what steps did my ancestors take? It, it's, it's not that. When he says look for or ask for the ancient past, he's saying ask what the truth is. What does God's word say about this circumstance? What does God's word say about this particular temptation? What does God's word say about this issue that we face in, in our marriage or in our career or what have you? He says, and ask where the good way is. Here's the thing. That's the question, right, that cuts through the clutter. That's the question that moves all of the the noise out of the way to where when we step up to the crossroads, it's not so much what does grandma say or that guy in the third cubicle down from my office or that person on talk radio. What, what, What do they think? It's not that. It's what does Scripture lead me to do at this particular crossroads? That's the big question. And we ask ourselves, what is the good way is? Uh, or what is the good way here? And, and here's the thing. I think for most of us, when we step up to the crossroads, especially of temptation, whenever there, there, there's a decision to be made between right and wrong, good and bad, righteous and unrighteous, when we step to those crossroads, tell me if I'm wrong. Most of the time for us as Christians, we already know what the good way is, right? We already know what the right way is. We've just never paused enough to step away from the emotion, to step away from the tendency to follow what our flesh desires, to step back and pause and say, what is the way that is the good way? What is the direction here that will honor God? What is the direction here? As I look at the the terrain, what is the way that will not cost me in the end as a result of God's discipline? But what what is the good path that will lead me into his will? And then here's the harder part of all of it. He says, number three, walk in that. Walk in it. It's not enough just to look. We get to the 
to the crossroads we come to and we pause and we survey the terrain and we ask ourselves, what's at stake? It's not enough for us just to pause and say, all right, so honestly, what do, I, what do I believe is the good path here? What is the path God would have me to choose? Strip away the emotion, strip away all the noise. What is the good path here? The harder part is walking in that. Because when we walk in the good path, when we walk in the good way, listen, many times it's going to cost you. I'm just telling you, it's going to cost you. When all of your sales associates are out selling you in your territory and you're afraid you might get cut loose because you're not producing and you step up to that crossroads, you know what, maybe I need to fudge the numbers a little bit. Maybe I need to bend the rules a little bit. Maybe I need to kind of do some things that aren't exactly right and ethical, but everybody else is doing it because I don't want to lose my job. When you're at that crossroads of deciding which way I need to go, just look at the terrain and ask yourself what it's going to cost you. Look, look at the crossroads. What's it going to cost me to, to mortgage out my integrity? And ask yourself, what is the good way here? Is it to do what everybody else is doing? Is it to do whatever it takes? Do I really want to be that person that sells out and does whatever it takes to make a buck? Is that really who I want to be? Do I really trust God enough to take care of me if I do it the right way? What is the good way here? And when you sort all that out, because you've spent time in his word and you've spent time in prayer and you've bounced it off of other godly people and you look at the circumstances and God has spoken. When you've sorted all that out, walk in the good way. And it's going to cost you. And it's not always going to be convenient. And it's not always going to be, I promise you, popular. But when you walk there, what does it say in that passage? And you will find rest. <laughs> I mean, you'll find rest for your souls. You'll have a peace when you walked on the good path that only a good God can give. You know, it's, it's interesting. In Scripture, there are a lot of passages that are tragic. You could put them in the category of tragic verses in the Bible. <clears throat> the very end of verse 16 is one of those. God lays all this out, a God who is so faithful and a God who is so good and so long-suffering and, and, and so desiring of his people to know him and to walk in his grace and his forgiveness to the point to where he sends messenger after messenger after messenger. And he says, here's what I'm asking you to do. Just take a look at where you are, Judah. Just take a look at where your rebellion has gotten you. Take a look at your circumstances. Ask for the good way. Go back to my word. Follow what my word says. Walk in it and apply it, and I'll give you rest. One of the most tragic verses, sections of a verse in the Bible, but you said we will not walk in it. How does a person who was once so close get so far by one wrong choice at a time at the crossroads? And yet it boils down so simply, doesn't it? Just look and ask and walk. I, I'm not an acronym person because I'm not smart enough to come up with those. But in, I guess, a bored moment uh, while I was doing sermon prep, I thought like, wow, I wonder what this makes. L for look, A for ask, W for walk, L-A-W, law. It's kind of interesting. And there's nothing mystical there. I'm just saying it's just me and my boredom looking at what it spelled out. And it's funny because it's a good reminder, not that we are called to walk in the law of God. We are people of grace, but his word is truth. Look at how God explained this to Joshua 
on the very verge of the promised land. Joshua was the new leader. Moses had died. Joshua took over. God put him in that position. He was way in over his head. He's about to lead the people of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. Moses couldn't get, in the, get them there after 40 years. And here he stands at the edge of this pinnacle moment in Israelite history. And what does God say to Joshua? Look at what it says. Joshua, you can just read these on the overhead if you'd like for the sake of time. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law, God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, my word my word shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then he says, does this sound familiar? Then, <clears throat> excuse me, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. It's almost like Joshua is being told by God, Joshua, as you stand at the edge of this crossroads where you're about to go into a brand new experience in a brand new land with people who want to give you brand new death because they're going to hate you. Before you go over there, just remember, don't get far from my word. And if you take my word and meditate on my word and chew on my word and internalize my word and live out my word and walk in my word, then I'm going to make your way prosperous. And they did and God did. They looked and they asked and they walked. Not every single experience, they had bumps along the way. But God blessed them as he walked according to his word. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. You may be familiar with this one. Look at what it says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We step to the crossroads. We look. We ask for the ancient paths. We ask for what God's word says. And his word becomes a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 6. You, you, many of you know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will direct your paths. Even at the crossroads, he will direct your paths. What does it mean to acknowledge God? It's not tipping our hat to him. The word acknowledge could also be translated know him. In all your ways, know him. How does that happen? When we cultivate a deeper walk with God, we, we spend time with him in his word. We spend time with him in prayer. We spend time with him obeying what he says. And as we do that, he shines a light on our next step. And we walk into that. We apply it and we obey. And he takes care of us along the way. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus is in his, in his ministry. And he's somewhat introducing himself you know, to a degree. And he says in John 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What often happens at the crossroads, especially the crossroads of temptation, is that we let our flesh call the shots rather than the light of our Savior who's revealed himself in his word, who longs to show us the good path. If we'll only just take a step back from the emotion and the fleshly desire and look at what's at stake, ask ourselves, what is the good way? And then we walk there. So what's your crossroads today? You face a crossroads in your marriage? Is your marriage in trouble? What's your crossroads today? You face a crossroads with a relationship with your kids, your grandkids? You face a crossroads as it relates to your work, your career, maybe some moral internal area. You've been hanging on to something that's only hurting you, some addiction or bitterness or whatever may be in there that God doesn't desire. 
when, when you step up to that crossroads, have you ever just paused for a moment to look? To look at the options on the table. And then to ask yourself, and even ask God, what's the good way? 20 years ago, it was bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of truth to that. We kind of make fun of them after all these years, right? Like it's so simple. It kind of is. Or what would a wise person do? Or like Jeremiah would say, what, is, what does God's word say to do? That's the good path. And as we pause and we look and we ask, when God shows us, we walk there. And what happens over time is that through our obedience, God gets glory. Through our obedience, we take some bumps along the way because the world doesn't like obedience. But we find ourselves on the inside able to lay our heads down at night. And we have peace, we have joy, and we have blessing because God takes care of those committed to him. So where's your crossroads? And are you willing to look and ask and walk? And if you don't know him to begin with, man, the most beautiful invitation of all is that the God who created you, the God who sees every sin, chose to pay for it. And he did that through Jesus who came and died and rose so that if you just see your sin and admit it and confess it and then leave it there, trusting in Christ and inviting him to forgive and take over, he'll do it. And you'll have a relationship with God that I promise you will never go away. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing invitation that you give towards us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve a relationship with you. There's not one of us in this room or online who can point to any goodness in our lives that we could say causes us to deserve, to deserve you or heaven. Lord, none of us deserve it, but you're a God who is so full of grace and so incredibly loving towards us. And Lord, you even went to the extreme of sending your son, God himself, to die and to rise again. And when Jesus died and when he rose, he paved the pathway and he made the payment for us to have a relationship with you, God, so that we don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to try to earn your favor. We don't try to do a bunch of good deeds to cover over all the wrong ones that we've done. Lord, what you call us to is a relationship that's based on trust that we trust, we entrust our lives to Jesus, believing that he's God, that he died, that he rose, believing that we need a savior. And as we lay down our sins, we turn to him and we invite him to forgive and to take over. And Lord, from that point on, we face crossroad after crossroad after crossroads. And some, Lord, the stakes are very low. Others, the stakes are very, very high. And we thank you that you've given us in a way, a little formula. Lord, that if we just look and ask for the good way and walk there, Lord, you guide our steps and you bless us. Lord, what an amazing offer. Thank you for your word that speaks into our lives, God. In any issue we face, we can find truth there in your word to give us direction. Help us to be faithful to cultivate that deep walk, to spend time in your word that we will know the path when we see it that's the right one, that's the good one. And Lord, give us boldness in a world that is increasingly hostile.
to those who know Jesus. Give us the boldness to live out your truth every day in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.